Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Jack Selliers was a South African major during World War II. He died on the island of Java, Indonesia, as a prisoner of war just before peace was declared in 1945. In a gross violation of camp rules, an irate Japanese officer was poised to execute one of the prisoners. And in an attempt to save his friend's life, Jacques Selliers approached the Japanese soldier and kissed him on both cheeks. The shock and humiliation of this gesture so infuriated the Japanese officer that he commanded the prisoners to dig a hole in the center of the compound. He then threw Selliers into the hole, filled it up with the dirt, leaving only his head exposed. Two days later, Sellier's head slumped in the dirt. But before he died, Sellier's had the opportunity to write down in his journal an experience that he had had earlier in his life. And his story begins with these sobering words. I had a brother once, and I betrayed him. Jacques was the oldest of four children, two girls and two boys. Both girls died from a typhoid epidemic leaving only the two boys. And there could not be a sharper contrast between the brothers. You see, Jacques was tall. He was strong. He was incredibly handsome. His skin was flawless. His face punctuated by dark blue eyes and crowned with flowing blonde hair. He was a natural leader. He had a keen intellect, a sharp tongue, and natural athletic abilities. He fostered a deep love for the outdoors, often roaming the wild jungles and plains of South Africa to observe the majestic animals. It was clear. Destiny had smiled upon him at birth. His younger brother, however, was different to Jacques in every possible way. His little brother was short, awkward. He was poor at academics. He was about as athletic as a platypus on ice skates. His hair was thick and dark. And it grew low onto his forehead. His skin was Mediterranean olive. His eyes burned of an intense radiant blackness. 
And Jack later recounted and said, I could never look into his eyes without feeling disturbed and uncomfortable. There was, however, one area where genetics had flipped the coin. You see, as as handsome and as tall and as athletic as he was, Selliers was tone deaf. Like it said, he could not carry a tune to save his life. But in contrast, ever since an early age, his younger brother had a clear, unhesitating soprano voice that as he grew older, developed into a manly, perfectly pure tenor instrument. He even composed music that moved the deepest emotions. Jacques recalls a signature tune that always stirred his innermost unrealized longing. And the lyrics went like this. Ride, ride through the day, ride through the moonlight, ride, ride through the night, for far in the distance burns the fire. For someone who has waited long. But there was one irregularity more than any other that blighted his little brother's life. You see, between his shoulders grew a razor-edged hump a la Quasimoto. It brought him such shame that he never spoke of it. His mother would pad his jackets to try to camouflage that awful projection. Although it was nothing more than a slight deformity, it grew like a mountain in his mind, making him a recluse from the world. Sellers recounts, we never referred to it by name. We always designated it by an atmospheric blank in our sentences. For instance, I would say, but if you do go swimming there, won't they see? Or he to me. Do you think if I wore that linen jacket, it would, you know... It was that hump that prompted Selliers to confess, I had a brother once, and I betrayed him. The torment of his failure dated back to his senior year at a boarding school in New Zealand. That year, his younger brother enrolled as a freshman. And so you have to understand that Jacques was Mr. Popular at school. All the girls had a crush on him, and all the guys wanted to be him. 
He was captain of his varsity team. He was the head of his class. But in spite of all that, the news spread quickly of that strange fish that had washed ashore at school. A reference to his younger brother. And Sellier's recalled from the very first evening, the start was not very encouraging. First impressions are important to the young, and never more important than when there are initiation rites to perform, as was accustomed at their school. On numerous occasions, Sellier's had discussed with his brother about these initiation rites. Of how they would have to run in their pajamas between two rows of students, flicking wet towels, twisted to fine lash-like points. He told them about waking up at night and finding a boy sitting with pillows on his head, while others put a slip knot of a fishing line around his toes, and they pulled on them until they bled in a perfect circle. And as Sellers described these initiation rites, nothing seemed to intimidate his younger brother except for one thing, the fear of his back being exposed and ridiculed. And as the time for the initiation rites drew closer, Sellers' brother began to ask him, You don't suppose they would make fun of, you know, will they? Jacques would try to calm his brother's fear and say, of course not. Don't worry about it. But almost on a daily basis, his brother continued to ask, they won't, will they? One evening in frustration, Sellier snapped and said, they won't what? They won't what? Stop asking already. But on the night before the initiations were to begin, the question was on his brother's lips again. And that night, Selliers noticed his brother's apprehension, but he chose to ignore it. Later that same night, Selliers joined the captain of the dorm along with the other head monitors. And the captain of the dorm asked them, Do you have any freshmen in your dorms that need to be excused from the rites? Uh, yes, uh, we have a boy with a weak heart who brought a doctor's note. Okay, we'll excuse him. Anyone else? Uh, Yes, there's a boy who's blind. Okay, we'll excuse him. Anyone else? Selliers, do you have anyone in your dorm that needs to be excused? No. Are you sure? I'm sure. Uh, What about your little brother? What about him? Well, you know that during the initiation rites, 
We have no mercy. We spare no one. Even if he's your younger brother, he will receive the full treatment. I know. He's fine. He'll be fine. And so the following day after classes were over, Selliers hid in the distance as he spied on his brother standing by the door to the science building. And suddenly, a stampede of unruly boys appeared, and they hoisted Sellier's little brother on their shoulders, and they started chanting, Oh, why was he born so beautiful? Why was he born at all? And the mob grew rowdier and rowdier until one of the older boys shouted, Chaps! This newcomer has got to do something for our entertainment. So what shall it be? Make him sing, they said. Sing, Greeny. Come on, sing as they punched him on his shoulder. Sing, blast you, sing. Selliers remembers it like this. Music was my little brother's language. And with the prospect of singing, even in such circumstances... His courage appeared to come back, and he obeyed at once, and he began to sing. Ride, ride through the day, ride through the moonlight, ride, ride through the night, for far in the distance. As his gift for music confidently took over. The boys quickly noticed that he was cheating the design of the ritual. And so they began to howl in disapproval. Greeny's a liar and a cheat. He can't sing a note. Greeny's a fraud. Drown him, drown him in the moat. And as they said this and yelled this and screamed this and chanted this, they grabbed him and they pushed him toward a long, deep horse trough. For a moment, wrote Selliers, I saw my brother's white face, his eyes searching the screaming, whistling mob of schoolboys, and then his head was pushed into the water. I watched the struggle and the tumult of yelling heads and shoulders, wondering if it would ever end, and then instantly it happened. An arm shot up, holding a shirt, and behind it, a naked torso. Look, chaps, Greeny has a humpback. And for a brief moment, the boys stared at the dripping wet hump, and then they exploded with laughter, twisting and turning in hysterics. And in that moment of terror, a teacher finally came, broke up the madness, but peace came too late and at too high a cost. And so that young, vulnerable, and awkward boy was scarred for life. Soon afterwards, he dropped out of school and returned to the solitude of home, never to sing 
another note. The brothers rarely spoke again after that incident. A door on brotherhood had been slammed shut so tightly that neither of the two boys could pry it open. And so Selliers confesses, I had a brother once. And I betrayed him. Selliers felt overwhelmed by his betrayal. His heart was empty. When World War II broke out, Selliers joined the special forces of the military, often volunteering for dangerous missions, penetrating deep behind enemy lines. He writes, I got better and better at killing. I was so good at the kind of raids I carried out that I began to lead missions further and deeper behind enemy lines. I came back each time more bloodthirsty, impatient at offers of leave and rest, asking only to be kept active and employed. I volunteered for every difficult and hazardous mission. I gave myself no time to think, no time to feel, no time for anything except war. Hoping thereby to drown the voices of my guilt and escape from my shadows, but they... They were too adroit for me. And on a special mission to Palestine, Selliers was assigned to protect a monastery considered to be one of the traditional sites of Christ's ascension. And it was there that he fell ill with malaria and the fever would not break. And so the unit quarantined him outside in a tent by himself. And there, under the canopy of the clouds and the stars of the night sky, as he looked back at the monastery that marked the place where Jesus ascended, whether by delirium or vision, we're not sure, but there, Selliers says that he saw Jesus with his disciples. And he heard someone say, Judas is sick. Judas is dying. Judas is dead. And Selliers then saw himself approaching Jesus and saying, There are many rumors in Jerusalem that are not true. You see, I am Judas, and I am alive, and I am here, and I am not dead. And then Selliers writes that Jesus took both of his hands and touched his fever-riddled body and looking upward said, Father, I thank you. Now at last we can both be free. But Selliers protested and said to Jesus, But I'm not free. 
You see, I had a brother once, and I betrayed him. And Jesus looked at him and said, Go to your brother and make your peace with him, even as I have had to do with my need of you. In that moment, the fever broke. Sweat poured out of his body like a tropical rain. And Celliers determined to visit his brother no matter the cost. For he would not carry the burden of his betrayal with him to death. And so before breakfast the following morning, Celliers asked a leave and was given one month to travel to South Africa and back. Celliers managed to get from Palestine to Egypt, and from there he caught a flight with the South African Air Force. Once in South Africa, he drove out to his brother's house, and as he drove through the countryside, he noticed how parched the land was. There was no grass left on the veldt, and the scrubs were twisted and burnt black in the sun's fire. Sheep and cows were so lean that their ribs and bones seemed about to pierce their taut skin. Vultures circled continually overhead. The smell of death was everywhere. And as Celliers knocked on the front door, his brother's wife answered, Well now, it's a surprise to see you. What brings you here? Without hesitating, Celliers asked, Where is my brother? He's out in the garden giving our last bit of water to the trees and vegetables. We've had a terrible drought for a year now, no rain. Sheep and cattle are dying. The garden is practically dead. And so as Celliers walked around back, there... He saw his brother. And that blighting hump was even more pronounced in middle age. And soon they were face to face. And in his brother's dark eyes, he saw a life imprisoned from a moment far back in time. Ubut, he said to his brother, That's a South African term of endearment. Ubut, it's good to see you again. The younger brother responded and said, Ubut, I I wish I'd known you were coming. I'd have liked to have met you there. You must be tired. Can you stay long? No, I can't. In a sense, I've no right to be here at all. I'm returning again in a few hours to catch the train back north. I've been hitchhiking my way down here by land and by air. And I've come here just to see you. Really, Ubud? Is that really so? I've come all this distance to see you because of my great wrong. For of all my failures in life, not one has plagued me more 
than the time I betrayed you. And I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Selliers then went on to recount in stark detail the events of that late afternoon in high school when he had betrayed his brother. And at that moment, pained, dark eyes locked with troubled blue eyes. And in a broken voice, the kid brother managed to say, You mean you came all the way from Palestine to tell me this? You took the only leave you've ever had from the war to come and tell me this? Too broken up to speak. Sellers nodded. Ubut, you've done many fine things, his younger brother said. But never a braver one than you've done today. At last, at last we're free of it all thanks to you. And in that moment of love and forgiveness, the brother's love was reborn. And as Selliers dismissed himself to leave, he heard a crystal clear tenor voice, silent for decades, beginning to sing, Ride, ride through the day. Right through the moonlight, ride, ride through the night. For far in the distance burns the fire for someone who has waited. Long. And for the first time, Selliers heard a second stanza to that song. I rode all through the day, rode through the moonlight. I rode all through the night. To the fire in the distance burning, and beside the fire found he who waited for so long. And as if by some celestial cue, thunder rumbled deep in the sky. A great army of clouds chased away the last strays of blue. The downpour of rain began to revive two shredded, separated lives. Physical rain, yes. But spiritual rain rejuvenated as well. For on that day, the rain of the Holy Spirit 
healed the scorched and stricken hearts. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.